we work with a partner in the US called Anchor Points, who are a team of firefighters and data scientists who've got together to create a fantastic US-based wildfire model. And we provide that data through our platform, both through our APIs and through our maps visualization platform. Well, there was a time a couple of years ago where every new company wanted to talk about AI or artificial intelligence. But have you noticed in the last few months how most of the successful companies are a lot more focused now on getting the fundamentals right? It's definitely a trend I'm seeing in these interviews, or maybe it just reflects the fact that we tend to talk to people that are solving real problems. And one of the most important fundamentals for any insurer is knowing what you're insuring. And if that's a building, that means knowing where it is. Now, you might have thought that with so much data swirling around and a postal service that had been going for over 100 years, that that's the one thing that insurers might have figured out. But actually, even in countries where some properties have been around for centuries, it's still surprisingly difficult to accurately know where something is. And the problem is the same whether you are in the US, Europe or Asia. Well, hello, Matthew Grant here, your host and guide through the jungle of innovation, technology, data and analytics. And today I'm talking to Mark Valley, CEO and founder of Address Cloud. Now, you won't find Address Cloud hitting the headlines for fundraising. Well, not yet anyway. Mark has bootstrapped the business over the last five years, but he has an impressive client list. Address Cloud focuses on the core problems of helping you understand where your building really is, known as geocoding. And as you're about to hear, it's not as easy as you might think. We'll find out first what drove Mark to leave his job and set up a company at about the same time as moving out of the country. He explains why data from organisations such as the Royal Mail and the Ordnance Survey in the UK, for example, falls short and the perils of relying on data from the big tech companies. You know who they are. Mark talks about his partners, including those firefighters in the US you just heard about. And we'll talk about the technology used to process the data and why people are still drawing lines around golf courses, well, virtually anyway, and of course, how to get access to the data. This is all part of a broader theme of location intelligence. And if you are interested in that topic, then look out for the report coming out early in 2021 on the themes and companies to watch out for in this essential topic. But with that, back to Mark. Mark, delighted to have you joining us today. Really interested to hear what you've been doing with Address Cloud. You've got a really intriguing founder's story. I think it's it's such a classic example of where somebody's tried to do something themselves, found they couldn't do it, and then decided to come build a company. And by all accounts, you're doing really well. So you started off at Accenture. You then were working with RSA, the large UK insurer, uh, as a solution architect from 2010 to 2015. And, and then you decided to go and set up Address Cloud, which is what we're going to be talking about. So delighted to have you joining us today. Thanks, Matthew. It's an absolute pleasure. This is my, my go-to podcast. I listened to it again on the way in to work this morning. So, you know, really, really happy and honored to be on here. Brilliant. Well, we always love talking to people that listen to the podcast <laughs> and, and find out what they're doing with it. Well, let's just, just kick off with that. So, you know, what was it that gave you the, we know what the motivation was because you had a challenge with identifying the locations of properties you were looking at at RSA. We'll talk more about that. But, you know, to make that move from working for somebody else that's kicking off your own business? 
RSA had been were quite pioneering in that they put geography. So they're taken GIS and geography, which was often a sort of specialist back office function. And we took that and actually put that as part of the quote and buy journey into the direct channels. And in 2015, I was sort of in the circumstances where we were we were buying this really high quality address data it was great and it worked quite well in those kind of direct channels but when you were dealing with broker submissions where addresses were complex messy postcodes might have been incorrect typos etc actually the challenge of getting those and, and getting those to the right location was something that was really hard I mean we were seeing addresses that were going to the wrong location addresses we couldn't match at all um, that coupled with the challenge of managing that as an in-house solution, I thought there must be a better way. So that's essentially why I created Address Cloud. It's one thing to see there's a problem out there. What's your advice to the, the early stage entrepreneur? I thought, well, rather than you know, aiming to build a business, I aim to build a solution first. I spent my evenings, weekends working on trying to solve the problem. Once I solved the problem, then I then went and pitched that back into the organization. And as it was fortunate enough to then work, join forces with another company. And, and at that point, RSA went out to tender. I'd obviously quit my day job, worked with this other company. We provided that solution and we ultimately won out against some very, very large organizations. Don't be scared, you know, and don't be scared of the challenge. Go out there and build it. And, and, you, and you never know, it might work out. It might, might, might become successful. I think it might be a surprise for people listening to know that there's still a challenge of actually getting accurate address data and you can actually build a business on, on the back of that. So, so why has that been such a problem? What problem, therefore, are you solving with Address Cloud? It comes down to two things. One was, is the data itself. So in the UK, we are, I mean, we're blessed with a very, very good addressing system. We've got our postal code system, which is fantastic. It's very, very detailed, very granular you know, postcodes getting beyond that and actually getting to address levels actually quite challenging. Um, so the data in the UK is closed source. So if you want to uh, have a list of all of the addresses in the UK, you need to buy that. You need to pay the Royal Mail for that data. Um, and if you want to know where all of the coordinates are, um, well, historically, you would have had to pay the Ordnance Survey for that. We work really closely. We're an Ordnance Survey partner. We work them, with them, um, you know, day in, day out, and we understand the data really well. Um, but that basically gets, gets, gets you a really good location um, with a, an address associated with it. The big search engine providers, they, they don't pay for those uh, data sets. So actually, you're already at a bit of a, uh, a disadvantage using one of those solutions in that they won't necessarily get you to, uh, to the rooftop level and to the right location. Um, so what we do is we take the data from Ordnance Survey and the Royal Mail. We're, we're resellers and partners of both of those organizations. We bring all that together into a, a, a single source. Um, and then what we then do is, in terms of our solution, is we, we understand and we've built up over the last five years. And even this week, we, we found another two that we hadn't seen before. All of the edge cases and all the strange and bizarre ways that we describe addresses and we actually build that into a system and provide a really simple interface over that to match, essentially take an address and match it to a set of coordinates. Um, so it is, yeah, it's a hard problem. It's some, one that hasn't been solved, surprisingly. Um, you know, we're, we're working on it all the time, uh, but it's a constant evolving problem. And I suppose also the, the flip side to what you're doing is that the analytics are getting more high resolution. You know, for example, people are looking at modeling at flood a higher resolution. The analytics are more are stronger that insurers are using this move to hyper personalization so 
what might have been fit for purpose with geocoding data 10 years ago is, is no longer good enough. And then just make sure I understood this properly. So are what you're now able to offer with access both to the Royal Mail and the Ordnance Survey is a full building footprint definition. So you know, for large buildings or ones where you've got for a flood, for example, sort of changes of elevation, more proximity to floods, people can actually get quite a high level of accuracy at, at the building level as opposed to just a point data that they might have got otherwise. Yeah, that's correct. So we've we've kind of seen that shift over the last few years going from postcode level uh, assessments, as I mentioned earlier, to uh, address level assessments. We think the probably the, 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 the happy medium because addresses often can be too narrow a focus, even for something like a high net worth property where it's a large property or where if you just take the, the, the dot, that might be the gatehouse or it might be the front door. Um, but actually taking into account the, the footprint of the building and the footprint of the site. So if it's a, let's say it's a commercial site with a, a warehouse out the back, for example, taking into account that information and working at that level, um, you know, that's, a, that's definitely a better way to work for a high resolution peril like flood, for example. Oh, hello. Quick break from Mark. We're back in a moment. Don't worry. Now, as much as I love doing this podcast, we don't just do it for love. We are very fortunate to be supported by some great members and sponsors at Instech London who find that we can help them grow their business and find their partners. So if you too want help creating and sharing your stories, advice on who to work with, or want to find your future clients, then please do contact me, Matthew Grant, either on LinkedIn, or you can drop us all an email, hello at instech.london. And we are also looking for sponsors for this podcast. So if you think you're a good fit for our listeners and want to get the word out, let's have a chat. Now, back to Mark. Can you talk a little bit about who your customers are? I know you're bootstrapped as a business, so you're reliant on revenue. If you've been going for five years, I assume you've got a pretty strong customer base. Uh, any of those you can name specifically? We're lucky to, to be able to name a few. So yeah, RSA, uh, as I've mentioned, we uh, they they continue to, to support us and they're, they're still our biggest name customer. Um, so they use us both in their uh, quote and buy journey for for direct you know for direct business. So through any of their branded partners or through their own uh, more than brand. Um, we also uh, they also uh, use us for all of their commercial risk as well. So basically, any geocoding or any addressing transaction that they that takes place comes through us. So we do around somewhere around about ten million uh, transactions a month. Um, we also work with Brits, um, uh, using for both their UK property and their US business. Um, uh, predominantly in the US, UK is predominantly focused on the perils that we've, we've spoken about, flood, subsidence, etc. And in the US on uh, wildfire and, and flood. We work with some of the smaller companies as well. So Sequence and Unicorn, two sort of smaller insurers, um, MGAs who we work with. And we recently signed an agreement with Protector, the Norwegian insurer who uh, have quite a significant um, presence in the UK. Uh, we just signed a three-year contract with them as well for geocoding. You mentioned in there in passing US, I know you focused originally on UK data, but it sounds like you're now expanding into other geographies. Yeah, absolutely. So for our address matching solution, that is, it's very labor intensive, very data intensive. So we do focus that on the UK and Ireland. Um, in the US, we partner with here. Um, so here used to be Navtech. Um, uh, we're acquired by Nokia and now they're now owned by 
the German car manufacturers. I think BMW and Volkswagen both have a share. And um, we use their uh, geocoding service, but we have our own global perils platform. So that's our own. Um, and uh, yeah, we work with a partner in the US called Anchor Points, who are a team of firefighters and data scientists who've got together to create a fantastic US based uh, wildfire model. Um, and, it, and we provide that data through our platform, both through our APIs and through our maps visualization platform. And we actually have around, I think last count, we've got around 250 users of that, loca of that application in the US, individual users. Um, and then we work with around 60 cover holders, um, again, mainly through, mainly through the BRIT relationship. That's a really interesting combination. So firefighters and data scientists. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's great. They, and they built, so they built a business on the back of that. Uh, and we obviously what wildfire is very topical just now. And then you, you tap into that as a, a partner for providing information for other companies that might be interested in doing the analysis. That's right. Yeah. And they've, they've taken a similar approach, I guess, the JBA did in the UK with floods. So going back sort of 10, 15 years, a lot of the flood assessments were quite broad. So the environment agency data, I think that certainly the public data is around 50 meter resolution. JBA took that down to five meter resolution and we and that we were really kind of pushing forward property, individual property by property flood assessments. And Anchor Point are, are seeking to do the same in the US with wildfire. Um, so rather than saying, okay, this this whole city block's all going to go up in flames, they will actually say, well, let's focus on the periphery, let's focus on that on the kind of the interface or the intermix zones. And uh, and going down to that higher level of resolution. And just picking up on something also you mentioned there about it's very labour intensive to create the data for the UK. So can you sort of talk through what what actually happens? What are you or your team doing with the data that's coming in from these different sources? So is it literally labour intensive in the sense that there are certain situations where you need to manually review? For example, the bullying footprints coming in from the Ordnance Survey, uh, or is that all fully automated now? It's semi-automated at the moment. So yeah, it's 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 complex. So if you um, if you wanted to go and uh, get data from somebody like JBA or British Geological Survey or Cranfield, all people we work with, we also work with a company called Blue Sky who have captured trees. So they've they've flown um, they've their own fleet of planes across the UK and have extracted LIDAR and from that they've extracted the tree canopies. I mean, that data when it arrives is huge and you, um, same for US wildfire, the data's massive, it's highly complex, it's geographic formats which needs kind of quite specialist skills and tooling to work with. So we process all 32 million addresses and however you, depending on how you count it, 25 million buildings and uh, we pre-process that with some quite complex rules. Um, so that requires a lot of compute, a lot of specialist skills, um, but ultimately the, the result of that is, a, uh, is a, a score or set of scores, and we push those out and make those available via API. So labor-intensive work is the coding and data manipulation. It's not as it used to be like 20 years ago when companies had to actually literally digitize maps and had people converting paper maps into digital. I mean, it really, that really was labor-intensive. So there's still quite a lot of work to do, but you've got the raw data that's accessible to be able to do that. That still is a challenge. So I was only talking to so Chris, who I mentioned, who's the, the firefighter come uh, wildfire provider. I mean, they have teams of people sitting there. I think last time I spoke to him, they were digitizing golf courses because they are a really great fire break and actually wasn't good sources of data available, but we don't get involved in that. We're essentially taking all of those smarts and then, and then linking those back to addresses and buildings. 
I'm seeing another opportunity for somebody there on a uh, sort of gig economy of manually mapping out a golf course. It could be a kind of interesting (laughs) option for someone to do. Maybe not the most efficient way to do it, but it might be quite a fun holiday job. I know you've also got clients outside of insurance. It's always really fascinating to find out what's happening outside of insurance because often there's lessons of what people are doing in different areas, whether it's banking or some of the other examples I know you've got for clients. So yeah, it'd be great to hear about some of the examples of people you're working with from outside of insurance and where you think there might be some applications that insurance can learn from. Looking at our two pillars, so we have our match API, which is our address matching, and then we have our intelligence API, which is around describing properties. We've gone from working purely with insurers in, in on the intelligence space to actually starting to work with lenders and, and with uh, surveying companies as well. Um, again, from the surveyors, it's been uh, partly born out of necessity, not being able to get surveyors out to visit sites. They're looking to see what external data sets they can bring in. And, and again, our property and risk data has been something that's been really helpful for them. Um, and then on the lending side, there's quite a big climate change agenda at the moment. Um, and there's quite a lot of pressure on the banks to understand climate change and take a more longer term view. Again, that's quite a different challenge for us. So on the insurance side, we're used to working with 12 month policies. Um, so actually taking a 20 or 30 year view of what a risk is going to be like, uh, like for a mortgage, for example, in 20 years, is it still going to be there? You know, has, has it fallen in the ground, essentially? So that's quite a challenge. Uh, and a lot of the providers that we're working with, people like JBA and the BGS, are creating um, environment uh, and climate change specific products. Um, so that's been that's been quite challenging and, and quite fun, you know, make a nice change from working with insurance, sort of same but different. Um, and then on the logistics side, yeah, we work with, um, so Dixon's Carphone, we've been working with them for, again, probably four or five years. They were, I think, customer number two. And we work with them in Ireland for um, delivering white goods. Uh, again, Ireland's challenging in that I think a third of the country don't have a unique address. So the only way of differentiating between one property and another over potentially sometimes over quite a large area, they've all got exactly the same addresses. It's just Mrs. Smith lives here and Mr. Jones lives over there. So that's quite challenging. Um, and then more recently, we've started working with Riverford Organic Farmers um, who Anyone who's a Riverford customer knows about their veggie boxes and their, and their purple carrots. Um, we've been working with them for around a year or so around trying to solve the last mile logistics problem. So getting a delivery driver rather than to a center of a postcode to the front door. If you're a delivery driver, what's important is not the rooftop. It's uh, where can I pull up outside that property and be able to go in and take the, the veggie box uh, and the issue with rooftops is sometimes that can route you to a to a, a back entrance or a side street. So we've just done a big piece of work to create what we call curbside locations and, and assigning those to every uh, every address. Um, so, yeah, very, very different from insurance. But again, it all helps and all, all pours back into the system. I just want to come back and talk a bit more about those partners in a minute and actually also how you've managed to do so much work with so many people. I think you mentioned a, a geocoding API and a building intelligence API, was that, was that correct? Can you just sort of clarify what that means in practice and then also how easy or not or difficult it is for people to actually use the APIs and, and what are they integrating with in their own systems? Yeah, absolutely. So the, uh, the matching API will take in either an address, so that could be a, a full address or it could be just a postcode, and it will either return a, 
an exact match or a list of addresses for a customer to pick from. Um, and with the address, what we return back is, is a full, uh, clean, structured uh, postal address, along with some geographic coordinates. And then we assign to that what we call our address key. So that's our unique identifier, our address cloud unique identifier. Um, and, we, and we provide that back. We also provide the UPRN for customers who are working with that. That's the Ordnance Survey's unique property reference number. Um, and, and some people just use that. So RSA, for example, at the moment, they just use that. They, uh, that gives them everything they need. And then they then use that in their internal systems to look up either by coordinates or, or via the UPRN to find out more information. And then our, our second service will take in either a set of coordinates or an address identifier and return everything we know about that property. Um, so that could be the geographic risk profile uh, for things, perils like flood or subsidence, or it might be property attributes. So it might be the number of bedrooms, bathrooms, receptions, details of the height of the building, the site, et cetera, whatever we know about it, essentially. Uh, and that might be our own data that we've created. It might be curated open data that we've worked with, or it might be third party data that we've linked through kind of using our own secret source back to the property. Well, I've just discovered a new acronym. I didn't realize that, that the Ordnance Survey had started rolling out unique property reference numbers, UPRN. So how long has that been going? Because it's certainly been one of the goals of a number of organizations to try and come up with a, yeah, an ID number for every building in the UK. But it sounds like the, the Ordnance Survey is now already doing that. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So it's been, I think it's 2011, I think was when they launched it. So it's the time they launched their address base products. Um, so every address and that will be, so if you're in a block of flats, for example, each flat generally will have its own UPRN. Um, and they have done that. That's been in partnership with a lot of the local authorities. So the local authorities now, if you do a planning application, you'll often see the UPRN on the planning application. And the idea of a UPRN is it's a cradle to grave reference number. So from the point in which a property is starting to be constructed all the way through to its demolition, it should have a persistent UPRN. Does that also track then changes to the building? Because that's obviously the big challenge for insurers is people make changes, they add things on or you know, the value of the building changes. Does that, is there a central source where someone's actually tracking that as well as the UPRN or is that still not being sort of all joined up? No, not really. So we have, so again, we, we do that. So the data sets we get, and we will take in land registry, price paid data, EPC data, um, various other different open data sets, but few of them at the moment are using the UPRN. I think, I think EPC data will start using the UPRN, but at the moment we have a big job where we have to cleanse all these messy addresses, you, uh, which we're quite lucky in that we have our own geocoder. So we're able to do that. Um, but it's not, it, it, yeah, it's not the sort of the one identifier to rule them all that, it, that it's promised to be, but it, it's getting that way. It's getting better and better all the time. It is UK specific though. I mean, that's, I guess that's the thing is it's great in the UK, but you know, it doesn't solve the problems elsewhere in the world. No, we've got to start somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that seems like a big opportunity in there. And, and then EPC, I'm thinking that's your environmental something certificate. Is that right? Yes, yeah, the energy performance certificate. Okay. It's an open data set, which you can download when you sell or rent a property, you're required to get an EPC certificate. Um, and there's some really good data in there. There's more than just the energy data itself. There's information there around construction type and age and things like that, which we then use in our property data as one of our sources. The quality can't, is not necessarily up there with some of the property listings and other data we work with, but it's, it's pretty good. And it's, it gives a kind of a good 
open source for, uh, for, for some of that information. Thank you. Another, another acronym I sort of knew, but didn't know exactly what it meant. Uh, and Mark, you've, you've got a lot of clients in there. You are a, a small organization. You keep things pretty tight. What is your go-to-market strategy then for signing up new clients? We've grown organically. We've, we've not spent lots of money on marketing. We, we tend to get recommended through existing customers. So we've, we've, I guess we've, we've grown naturally uh, and the team's grown at the same time. Yes, we're, we're still small. So we're, I think we're five at the current counts, but expanding and looking to bring on some more people next year. Um, but it's great. I think we've, because we, we haven't grown too quickly, we've taken it steady. It just seems to have, have worked for us. And as I say, we, in terms of, um, and in terms of, of kind of leads, I guess people either hear about us through recommendation or sometimes they might go to one of our data partners and say, okay, we would like to procure a service. The data partner might only be selling their data, so they may recommend us. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's worked pretty well for us so far. And how do you think about this sort of, you know, diversifying your client base versus keeping it focused? I mean, the sort of conventional recommendation to people building companies is, is keep really focused. You don't sort of spread your offering too widely. We've already talked about some of the benefits of doing that, but is it a conscious choice for you to go and work with people from different industries or has that just been, a, yeah, the opportunity's been there, you want to grow the business. And so you've just followed, you've followed the money to a certain extent. I think in, in the early days we did, we probably followed the money. Um, but I mean, luckily uh, it's led us into good places. Um, more recently, we've actually got our own kind of internal triaging system and, and we do say no so there are you know things that we don't do so we don't do anything to do with individuals so we would never do a credit risk or anything like that uh, we've just kept everything focused so i guess regardless of the industry as long as it's something to do with an address either finding an address or describing an address that's essentially what we would do anything outside of that we we, we don't touch yeah, that's a good, good balance. Uh, well, Mark, we've covered an awful lot there. Uh, we'd love to be able to get breaking news here. So is there anything that we haven't covered or you've got coming up soon that you, we can talk about? Yes. Yeah, so the, the property data, I think we've touched on a couple of times. So um, that's a very new service. That's something we've been working really hard on for the last six months. We've got 32 attributes across 32 million addresses. So I I, can't, I haven't got my calculator out, but that's quite a lot of data points. Um, we, again, there's, there are other people out there who are providing that data. I think what we do is quite different. Um, so other people have, uh, have tackled that with artificial intelligence, which we think is very admirable, but we personally, we see it as a geographic problem. Um, so we work with property listings data. We get warranties, so new build home warranty data, surveys, sales data. We take all of that. We... Uh, link it to uh, addresses and buildings. So we link it to the buildings from the Ordnance Survey that I mentioned, and we model out what we call a, a very carefully curated data set. So rather than trying to get 100% on every attribute, things like year built, which are notoriously difficult to capture, what we'll do is we will assign that um, either a, a, a what we call an A record, so that'd be an address level record, through to a B where we've managed to model it out to a building where the where the address is all uh, or where the, where the data kind of correlates. So that might be a block of flats where let's say there's 20 flats, three of them or four of them have had uh, a survey undertaken and we can, and they're all saying the same results. So we can hazard a guess that actually the rest of the 16 will be the same. 
that data went live last Monday. Um, it's available on our API. Um, so you can have a look at docs.addresscloud.com and, and see our data model. We see that being used, I guess, in, in two ways. One would be uh, pre-fill. So we're working with a number of insurers uh, and aggregators as well who are looking to pre-fill question sets to, to, to speed up the customer journey. Uh, and then also being using that data so that covers both residential and commercial. So using that for triaging things like complex commercial risks. So understanding that this particular address is in a site and that site might have three buildings and the total square footage across or total square meterage across that site, maybe 2000 square meters. So coming up with those kind of insights for triaging and understanding whether or not a risk can be automatically underwritten or whether it requires manual underwriting. Mark, we've covered a lot in there. Is, is there anything we finally, before, before we wrap up that we didn't talk about that you want to mention? I guess the only thing that we haven't covered off in, in our discussion is around exposure management. So that is an area where we're looking to expand further next year. Um, so understanding more around accumulations of risk uh, and particularly around uh, post-events analysis and some of that more complex kind of specialist aggregation type events. I'm so impressed you're doing so much with so few people. You've got a large number of clients, you've got a large number of partners, you're putting out new products. Uh, it feels like there should be a Harvard business case study on, on how to build a great company very quickly with few people. So that's really tremendous, Mark. Thank you for that. And also thank you for being a a member of Instat London. I mean, what was it that sort of drew you to us uh, and that, that led you becoming a corporate member? Um, I'd followed the events I mentioned. I'm a big, big fan of the podcast. That's my that's my go-to in the morning. Probably you know once or twice a week, uh, catching up on on some of the back episodes as well. So it's just a really great forum. We think it's a, a great place with lots of like-minded people. Um, we have been fortunate to meet some of our data partners uh, through that forum. Uh, and we're always happy to to work with new data partners and and new platforms and integrators. So we're we're quite keen, for example, to work with more of the ecosystems and some of the more platform partners, some of the insurance platforms where, you know, they're looking for third party feeds. We're we're happy to discuss with anyone who's who's interested in doing that. But it's you know it's a great community. It's a it's a great group of people, and yeah, we're really excited and really happy to be part of it. Right, and you've already experienced the, the challenges and how to overcome the challenges of remote working just being based out in, in France for 10 years. So I'm sure we can all learn a lot from you. Uh, and clearly, it's, <laughs> you've figured it out as you're growing so much. But no, Mark, that's been tremendous. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you, Matthew. Absolute pleasure. Another great story. And it's always really inspiring talking to people who have built their own businesses and grown fast and have been able to plow the money earned back into that businesses. Definitely something for all of us to learn from, including us. Well, we're definitely going to be hearing more from Mark in the future, I'm sure about that. Now, we'd love to hear more from you too. So when you've unplugged us, got off your bike, finished your run or whatever else you're doing, please do let me know what you think or better still, let everyone else know. Don't forget, you can learn more about what we're up to at Instec London at www.instec.london and if you want to find out more about what we're thinking each week then please do sign up for the Instec London newsletter link in the episode notes or on our website www.instec.london <laughs>